Thank you for listening to the 180 Podcast. We hope today's message inspires and encourages you to be all God has created you to be. And now, here's this week's message. We serve a God who is a God of specific, and He knows your name. He knows your need. You may have walked in these doors discouraged, depressed. You may have walked in these doors thinking that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, and you can leave this evening encouraged. You can leave this evening inspired. You can leave this evening with a plan and a mission and a vision knowing that you are not here by accident. So if you allow me to, let me pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, and I pray that you would communicate your love to these students, to these leaders in a very real and personal way. I pray that today, on March the 28th, 2018, it would be a day that they say that was the day, that was the turning point, that was the start of a new life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this room. We thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, I wasn't raised in the church. The first time I ever stepped foot into a church, I was 16 years old. And the only reason why I went to church was because there was a cute girl who wouldn't date me unless I went to church with her. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, okay, I'm going to church. I sat right by here. It was so crazy because I came in and I didn't know what all of these crazy people were doing. They were at the front. They were singing. Their hands were up. They sang sang these songs that I didn't know. They were offering these prayers that I thought were kind of goofy. But I knew as long as I sat close to her, I might have a chance. Here's the crazy thing. I ended up in a small group after the main service, and a mentor of mine, I had his poster on my wall, a baseball player for the Kansas City Royals, old school, named Kevin Seitzer. And I looked up, and I saw him, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I was starstruck. I had his poster on my wall, and he was able to walk me through what the Bible says about my sin, about this hole in my heart, and he led me to a life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And from that day, I got a brand new Bible. I came home. My parents had gotten divorced in the first grade. My family puts the fun and dysfunctional, all right? How many dysfunctional families do we have in here? Okay, you, you know what I'm talking about. So I came home from, I came home from that church camp with the Bible underneath my arm, and my stepfather looks at me. He's like, what happened to you? I said, I got saved. He goes, don't bring that into my house. I said, but, 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 but Jesus is in my life. He says, no, Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. So I, 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 I prayed for him, and I read the scriptures in front of him. I was very particular, and I prayed, and I was able to lead my mom to Christ. And then my mom and I started praying for my stepdad. And then I was able to lead my dad to Christ and my stepmom to Christ and my sisters to Jesus. And my stepdad, the only thing that I ever wanted as a kid was a home that I could live in that would call a Christian home. Because he would drop me off to church and he would go do his thing and he would pick me back up. I'll never forget. I said, Pop, he's about 6'5", 350 pounds, huge guy. 
Before this, he was kind of like a piece of furniture in our home. <laughs> he just sat there all the time. I said, Pop, if you passed away today, where would you spend eternity? He looked at me. He goes, eh, I don't know, probably Milwaukee. I can't make that up. Milwaukee, uh, what? I mean, it wasn't even like a, a good city, like San Diego or, you know, Miami. It, I, he said, Phil, give up on me. I'm a lost cause. I broke me. And I prayed this prayer in James 1.5. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask of God who gives to all generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And I said, God, I need wisdom. And you say, if I pray for this, you're going to respond. And I'll tell you what. June 25th of the year 2000, on my mom's birthday, I was able to lead my stepfather to Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. We were down at the altar. My mom and I, we had been begging him to come to church, begging him to come to church. And for six weeks, he had been coming, sitting in the back row kind of like this. But on that day, I said, the only thing that I want for my mom's birthday is for him to come to Christ. And he came forward after my mom and I had come forward for prayer, and it was me right here, my mom right here, we're kneeling at the altar, and then all of a sudden we feel these two huge sweaty arms around us. And I looked up, he goes, it's time. It's time. And guess what? He was too big for the baptistry, so we baptized him in a hot tub. Can I get an amen? It was amazing. I say all that to say. I don't know where you are. I don't know where your parents are. I don't know where your grandparents are. But God is searching. He is seeking. He is moving. And maybe, just maybe, the thing that you in, hear, in, hear in here tonight could be the very thing that sets the new trajectory in your family. Today's message is entitled, When God Gives You a Fresh Start. When God gives you a fresh start. Imagine one day waking up and you're looking at your Twitter feed or your Instagram or your Snapchat and you realize that you have, you're reading your obituary. That people think that you're dead. And you're reading on your social media feed the comments and the thoughts that they think about you. You look at the newspaper and they think that you are dead and this is what your family has written about you. Wouldn't that be crazy? That very thing happened to a guy in the mid-1800s. His name was Alfred. He got up one morning, he got his coffee, he got his newspaper, he sat down and he opened his newspaper and he read his name at the obituary column. And this is what it said. It said, Alfred Nobel, a merchant of death, a chemist, died a wealthy man. As the inventor of dynamite, he became rich by enabling people to kill each other more efficiently than ever before. This guy, Alfred Nobel, he invented dynamite and he became extraordinarily wealthy. But what happened 
Alfred's brother had died, and the newspaper mistakenly thought it was him. And he was reading what the newspaper was saying about his life. And when he read that, he was thinking, oh my goodness, what just happened? This is my legacy. This is how I'm going to be remembered. And so, in the middle of his life, Alfred Nobel decided to take all of his funds that he was gathering, all of his wealth and his riches that was used for destruction, and he put it towards a fund that was used for peace. We know it today as the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel. And this is what he had to say. This is a great quote. Towards the end of his life, he said this, I believe everyone deserves a chance to change their obituary in the middle of their life. Students, today is that day. I believe that. God can change your life like that. He can move in miraculous ways. The question is, are you holding on to your life with a fist or are you opening up and saying, God, I'm scared, but I'm going to give you my life. We're going to look at a story in the New Testament of a guy. This guy I really like. This guy was overconfident. He liked to overpromise and underdeliver. He made promises like, I'll always, I'll never. I'm serious, some of you have prayed this. God, if you get me out of this one, I'll always, right? My parents don't get caught. I'll never do that, I promise. You see, this is a guy who had the talk before he thought. He was a leader, but he was the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? He was always saying things that he shouldn't have said. Anybody know who I'm talking about? A guy named Peter. And man, Peter, I love this guy because, man, he, his, his motto, kind of like mine, was ready, fire, aim. Right? He, had, he didn't have time to aim. He just, he just shot. And then said, God, I, I pray you'll just work it out. You see, Peter was in the inner circle of Jesus' closest friends. You see, Jesus loved the world. Kind of like a funnel, he loved the world. And then he had 70 that were pretty close. And then he had 12, his 12 disciples. But then out of those 12, he had three. And in those three, he looked at Peter as, as someone who had a lot of potential, but just was a little rough around the edges. How many of you in here tonight would say, you're a little rough around the edges? Just raise your hand. You're like, Jesus, I, I need some help. And I need, it. yeah, I'm that guy, Okay. He would write checks with his mouth that his actions couldn't deliver. And so we see towards the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is explaining what's going to take place. It says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Nice. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And so Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of me, what's it say? I never will. 
He says, look, even if these losers all fall away, even if they abandon you, these guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. They don't need anything. I'm never going to Jesus. Verse 34, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. He said, I'll never I'll always stay with you. I'll never leave you, even if all these other guys don't do it, I will. He, he is arrogantly speaking of his awesomeness. Now, be, before we throw stones at Peter and say, man, how could he do that? Can I get real with you? How many times have we done the same thing? We say, Jesus, I'll never Jesus, this is the last time I promise. And you know what? If you would put a lie detector up against you at like that moment when you said promise, I promise, you'll be telling the truth. Right? You're honest. You really want to, but then you're just kind of like, well, everybody's doing this, so I'm just kind of go over here. And then you cross that line. Oh, Jesus, I promise I'll always, I'll never. But then you come over here. And I promise, and time and time and time and time again. The reason why this is so significant in my life, because I was this guy. Let's check it out in Matthew chapter 26. Let's see when he does. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. So Jesus had already gone in to be tried, and he was getting ready to go to the cross. The servant girl came to him. So Peter was outside just kind of warming his hands, checking things out, making sure that everything was okay. She says, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, verse 70, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, and another girl saw him and said to the people, oh, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it in verse 72 again with an oath saying, I do not know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Hey, surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. You see, Peter had a very distinct accent. I was just preaching in New York City on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And man, you can tell a New York accent, right? How you doing? How you doing? I was, how you doing? I was trying to, I was trying to like, you know, I went into a deli and I was trying to order a sandwich and I was like, hey, how you doing? And they said, you're not from here, are you? I said, no, how'd you guess? I said, I'm from Kansas, right? <laughs> I can't dance. <laughs> I don't have an accent, right? Man, Lord help me. Okay. But at least I can dress cool. Some of my guys on the team last year, they said, Preacher, we're going to get you an outfit. Because you can't be wearing Dockers in here in the locker room. So they got me some Jordans. Pretty sure. They, they got me some Jordan stuff. They said, all right, Preacher, we need you to at least look like you know what you're talking about. I said, all right, all right. I'll take all the free stuff you want to give me. Verse 74. Then he, he began to call curses. This is Peter. He calls curses. Basically, he is cussing at this point. On himself, and he swore, and he said, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And I love what the Gospel of Luke in verse 22 says The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Whoo! 
See, sometimes God looks at you and sometimes God looks through you. And you're, you're caught. And at that moment, when Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter, verse 75, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I disowned my commitment and Jesus looked through me and I wept. You see, this is very real to me and I was praying about how much I should share, but I just wanted to be honest with you. See, the last couple of years of my life, I've been walking through a restoration process. You see, I was this guy because my dad, my real dad, who at seven years old, my parents got divorced. Why? Because he was a raging drunk. He was abusive physically, emotionally, sexually, any other way you can imagine. And that caused our family to divide. But my dad was still about 20 minutes away. He lived in Lewisburg. I was in Spring Hill. And he was a great guy up until about 9 a.m. until he had his first drink. And then all bets were off. And so growing up, I always was saying, I will never, I will never drink. And it wasn't because of any spiritual reason, but it was just I saw what it did to my family. And so I was so arrogant, right? When I was 20, my first funeral that I preached was my dad's. I was 20, he was 52, he drank himself to death. He, he died lonely, and the only thing that I got from him was a blanket that I still have today. It's kind of worn and tattered, but that's the only thing that I have. And people look at me, and they're like, dude, you are a flat-out miracle. I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm thankful, that, I'm thankful that I landed at a place like this when I was 16 years old. And so I go through ministry and God keeps on kind of promoting. I became a senior pastor when I was 19 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. I gave up a full-ride baseball scholarship at a Division I university so I could go be a pastor. Guys, I didn't know what I was doing. I would learn it from the Bible on Saturday night and then preach it authoritatively on Sunday morning as if I knew what I was talking about. I was like a duck on a pond. Right? You see a duck and you see it kind of gliding gracefully and underneath it's just like scrambling. But you don't see the scramble, you just see the glide. That was my life. I was scrambling. Oh, I hope they don't find out that I don't know what I'm talking about. But the problem with Christianity and churches is this, if, if you're good from the stage, they keep on promoting you. <laughs> so, man, I took the shiny promotion. And I kept on going up and up and up and up and up and up and up until it worked, until it didn't. And a couple of years ago, my wife almost passed away twice. She had a lot of complications. We were in and out of the hospital like six surgeries later. So what did I do when I wasn't sleeping? I drank myself to sleep. I did the very thing that I said I would never do. And I hid it from everybody. Nobody knew. But man, I would hide bottles all over the house. I would hide bottles in the car. I would hide bottles in different places. I mean, it was crazy. And every time, every morning I would say, God, I'll, I promise this is the last time. 
And then about five at night, it would start. And I would hide it. And my, my wife just thought that, that I liked to brush my teeth a lot. I had great dental hygiene. She didn't know that I was covering up the smell. That worked until it didn't. Until I decided to raise the white flag and say, I surrender. And guess what I did? Team chaplain for the Kansas City Chiefs. Big job. I got the thing on TV on Tuesdays on NBC. I got a deal on the radio every Friday. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of big stuff, right? My ego got the best of me. And ego is simply edging God out. And so I said, God, I, I can't do it. And I checked myself in to a treatment center for 42 days in the middle of nowhere in Nashville, Tennessee. The most humbling and amazing time in my life because I learned that the alcohol, man, it was just a symptom to a deeper problem that I was running from all my life. And just like a bow and arrow, when I pulled it back, I was able to see some of the things, some of the reasons as to why. And just like our life, sometimes we got to go back to go forward. we got to be stretched to be launched. So for 42 days, had no contact with the outside world. I called my wife on three days a week for 10 minutes at a time. I mean, that was it. I tell you what. What I thought was the worst thing in the world ended up being the biggest blessing. And God is so true. Those who humble themselves, he promotes. And so when I came back, a lot of people were kind of concerned about my life and about my recovery. And I said, you know, I probably, I probably need to step back from frontline preaching and teaching. And my boss said, well, well, that's good because I have a position that I've been wanting to put you in, but I didn't feel like I could pull you away from the chiefs. I feel like now you have street cred to be able to minister to the ministers, pastor to the pastors, and help lead and oversee all of the NFL ministries. And I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. I'm, I get chills even talking about it. I am Peter. That's my life. When God gives you a second chance, and some of you in here tonight think that you have blown it. You think that, oh, God can never use me. I can't do this. Well, I'll tell you what. God sent me here from New York this morning to Lenexa tonight to say, God is searching your heart. He wants to give you a second chance, and he wants to motivate you. You see, during those 42 days, I was totally silent. And you know what? When Peter, on that Friday, denied Christ, that next Saturday was totally silent. He thought that he had blown it all. He thought that he will never get a shot. 
But then it says early that Sunday morning, the first Easter Sunday morning, the Bible says that three ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and a lady named Salome, went to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus with spices. And it says in Mark chapter 16, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, as the, and, and they were alarmed. They saw this angel. He says, don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Verse 7, this is my favorite verse in all the Bible, but go tell his disciples and who? And Peter. Go tell all the world and Peter. This angel singled this one man out because this one man had blown it so much. He had sinned so much. He had denied Christ. He had done the very thing that he said he would never do. And this angel from God says, hey, ladies, I want you to go tell the disciples and the very one who needs it the most. I want to take some creative liberty here, and I want you to put your name in that underlined verse. What, what's your name? Jason. Go tell the disciples and Jason. What's your name? Mason? Go tell the disciples and Mason. Trey, go tell the disciples and Trey. Go tell the disciples and J.D. Go tell the disciples. You see, God's heart is to rescue and to redeem and to restore and to, then to launch. And so when Peter heard this, oh my goodness. It says in Luke chapter 24, when they came back from the tomb, these ladies told all the things to the eleven and to the others, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. You see, the, 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 an invitation for grace will seem like nonsense to those who think that they don't need it. So the others, they, these words seem like nonsense. Verse 12, Peter, however, everyone say however. Oh, Peter was the one who heard this. He got up, he ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. You see, when all of the people heard about this resurrected Jesus, they sat there like, that, that can't be. What are you talking about? Peter says, I got to go. I got to go. He went and he ran. And it says he was bending over. He saw. He saw this empty tomb. And he was wondering, what in the world? Could this be? Could this Jesus give me a second chance? Maybe, just maybe, what he said was true. And Jesus can forgive you. Can restore Maybe, just maybe. And so, the next time we see Peter, he's out there fishing. Why? Because he's a fisherman. So he's out there fishing all night, doesn't catch anything. Then this strange guy in this robe comes down on the beach. He says, hey, you're doing it all wrong. Put your nets on the other side. And they're like, well, I, all 
right, we haven't caught anything. They put their net on the other side. They catch 153 fish. It's amazing. And the closer the boat gets to the shore and the closer this man comes to the boat, Peter looks out and he says, what? wait a second. That, that's, Je- that's Jesus. Hey, Jesus. And he jumps off the boat again. He runs to see where Jesus is. He swims about a football field worth from where the boat was to where the shore is. Nothing was going to get in the way. And so they embrace, they hug, they dab it up, they do whatever. They cook some breakfast from all the fish that they just caught. They put some sauce on there, some lemon. Man, I can smell it. I'm hungry. I don't know about you. They had breakfast and the other disciples went away and Jesus pulls Peter back and this is what he says. When they had finished eating in verse 15 of John 21, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. He was kind of ashamed because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, yes, feed my sheep. What, what is Jesus saying? Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why? Because he denied him three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And emphatically, Jesus is saying, Peter, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Peter, I love you. I love you. I love you. Peter, I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. Quit feeling sorry for yourself, Peter. Get over it. You're human. And he says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. In other words, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to feed the spiritual flock. And I want you to start a revival there outside of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. I want you to start a revival where 2,000 years later in the year 2018, in the month of March, this 180 is going to catch a flame. Why? Because of a guy who had a second chance. And those who have been saved from much have much to share to the world. And the next time that we see Peter, check this out, the next time we see this guy who was shy, who was denying Christ, Acts 2 and verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about how many were added to their number that day? 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Why? Because a guy got up. Yeah, he sinned. He had fallen. He had done the very thing that he said he wouldn't do. But you know what? Jesus says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and move on. Not quite sure how this message lands on you today. Maybe you need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, I only came for basketball. I only came because of a cute girl or a cute guy that I have a crush on. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll be a much better boyfriend or girlfriend with Jesus than without Jesus. (laughs) i tell you what, I don't know why or how or where this message lands on your heart, but I want you to know 
that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of renewal, repentance, revival in your own heart. You can't have a collective revival without having an individual revival. God can't do something out there until he does something in here. And I pray that God would radically change your life. So I want to pray for you. And I want to invite you to do whatever God tells you to do. Christianity can be boiled down to as simple as this. You hear from God and you do what he says. And you repeat the process. You hear from God, you do what he says. You do the next right thing and you do the next thing right. The Bible says... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You might have walked in these doors a spiritually dead person. You can walk away alive in Christ because Christianity is not about going from being bad to good. It's about going from being dead to being abundantly alive. When I was 16 years old, I was dead. I was completely dead. I was lost as lost could be, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in everything else that left me empty. Until the day that I heard about the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. He came because he loves me. He came because he wants to set the trajectory of my life forever. The same is true for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for bringing the men and women here tonight to hear this message. I thank you for allowing the flights to connect from New York to Kansas City to Lenexa to hear this special word from you. And I pray in this moment of prayer that you would work on people's hearts. As our heads are bowed and we're in a moment of reverence, how many of you in here tonight would say, Pastor Phil, I needed to hear this message. Just raise your hand all over this place. I needed to hear this message. God bless you. I needed this. This was for me. You can put your hand down. How many of you in here today would say, you know what, Phil? I'm not quite sure I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not quite sure I have that. I think I have religion or I think I might just come because of the games. This whole thing is maybe new to me. I want today to be the day where I give my life to Jesus, where I start afresh, where he has my heart and I have his. If that's you, if you want today, March the 28th of 2018, to be the day of salvation for you, just simply raise your hand all over this place so I can just pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. For those of you who are raising your hand right now, I want you to simply look at my eyes. I want to ask you a question. For those of you who just raised your hand for salvation, I want you to look in my eyes and I want to ask you a question. Are you serious? Are you serious? Do you mean business with God? And if you do, just simply shake your head at me. I don't care if you're a leader. I don't care if you're a parent. I don't care if you're a student. God brought you here. From your heart to God, simply pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. And right now by faith, I invite you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you lived a perfect life. You died a death in my place and you rose again to give me eternal life. Jesus, take my life. 
I want yours. And you can finish that prayer from your heart to God's, knowing that he hears you, he loves you, he accepts you, and he wants to set the trajectory of your life on a completely different plane. prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to tell somebody about it. Talk to Pastor Cody. Talk to me. Talk to a leader. Make this public and know that Jesus loves you. He forgives you. And today is your day. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done and all who you are. I pray that you would accept those who invited you into your life. I pray that you would do an amazing work of restoration, of salvation, of conviction and revival. I pray that today people would say that was the day, that was the moment where I started the second chance by God's grace alone. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Thank you for listening to the 180 Podcast. We hope today's message inspires and encourages you to be all God has created you to be.